0: Well, good morning again. Uh, good, to, good to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we are on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Unshakeable, Stand, Standing Up in a Bowed Down World. And uh, it's, a, it's a series that we're doing on the first six chapters in the book of Daniel. Uh, pretty amazing stuff. A, Daniel is a book that was written about 2,600 years ago, uh, but speaks right to where we live today. It's, uh, the similarities are really uncanny and uh, this book really speaks to us about unshakable faith in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a world that is, that is not heading in the same direction as God. And so uh, we're learning some great stuff about how to stand up and sometimes even how to stand out for Christ and for his kingdom, even when it's not popular, even when it would be easier to shrink back and to hide. And uh, last week we kind of looked at Daniel chapter 1, we we talked about living lives that are resolved, right? Living lives that are dead set on living for him and to please him, allowing his truth to be the thing that transforms us, that leads us, that guides us, that shapes our our values uh, and not just get swept away by the values of Babylon, even the values of our culture, the values of our world. And... uh, but instead learning to, to stand up and to even stand out for Christ and his kingdom. Today I want to just go ahead and, and look at Daniel chapter 2. I've, I've encouraged you, and and I'm going to do it again today, to just be reading along uh, with us throughout these uh, these five weeks we're spending on the first six chapters of Daniel. And I want to encourage you uh, at home sometime during this week, would you take... Op- take, open up your Bibles. You might need to use a table of contents to find this little book of Daniel in the Old Testament and to take a few minutes and start reading through it start reading sometime over these next few weeks Would you read, uh, be reading these, uh, six chapters for yourself and it'll really help reinforce some of what we're talking about on Sunday. And not to mention the living God will speak to you just about your own life, uh, as you do that as well. And so, uh, Just would encourage you to be doing that. Make sure you sometime during the week read Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 and come ready for Daniel 3 next week. Fair enough? All right. So uh, today, again, we're talking about Daniel chapter 2 and we're talking about standing... Uh, when we're asked to do the impossible. And uh, I was thinking about that this week. Ever feel like you've been in a situation where more is demanded of you than you feel like you have in your gas tank? Right, Where you're like, I have, I have a 3,000-mile trek before me and I have a quarter of a tank of gas. Right, This is not going to work. I was thinking about all the times in my own life uh, where I felt like uh, what what was asked of me or what was required of me was just beyond what I, what I was able to do. I was thinking about a time, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I was... Uh, and we were pastoring and leading a, a church up in Wisconsin that we started. We were there for 14 years and, uh, and it was going great. It was growing. We were doing a capital campaign, and we were building our first building in that season. It was a it was a full-time uh, job on its own. It was a big commitment. Uh, on top of that, we had felt very clearly that God had asked me to go back to school, and so I was a full-time grad student in that era and uh, was doing that kind of a thing, and uh, somewhere in that, in that uh, time frame, we had our third child, which was a blessing and was awesome, but as you know, having a bunch of uh, toddlers and babies around the house is also, is that a a little bit tiring. Can I get an amen? Right, like it's, right. I mean, it's a lot of outflow uh, with that as well. And then uh, in the midst of all that kind of stuff going on, we're just crazy busy. Uh, I had this job opportunity come before me, part-time job uh, of helping to start plant more churches and coach and train and recruit church planters around Wisconsin and Michigan. And my my instant thought was, it's impossible. There's no stinking way. Like, this is just, I mean, I'd love to, but there, no, right? I mean, like, uh, there, there's no chance. And and uh, it kind of kept coming up for us. So sooner or later, Tina and I began to pray about it. And we had this overwhelming sense that God was saying, you need to do this. I'm asking you to, to trust me and to take this step and to... Uh, to to go ahead and take this job. And God, I can remember time after time after time, God and I having conversations, God and I having words saying, I don't think it's humanly possible. Like this, how is this ever gonna work? I mean, for me to do grad school, I was studying between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. every, every night. That was my work time. And so I'm like, I, what, what am I supposed to take from like three to six? <laughs> like, when is this gonna happen? There's no, there's no way. And yet, uh, I, I can remember just saying, God, what, what you're asking of me, what you've put in front of me is more than I can handle. It's, it's impossible. It's more than I can do. Ever felt that way? I can remember uh, a number of years later when uh, God started messing with Tina and I uh, and saying, you know what, I'm I'm calling you to Peoria to plant another church to, to do this whole thing again. And this is before our church up there knew what a few of our leaders did. We were processing and laying out a timeline. There was a whole transition kind of thing that we had put in place, but the church as a whole didn't know, which meant, which meant we couldn't kind of step forward into this new ministry. We couldn't start the fundraising that we needed to do until the church knew. And from the time the church knew to the time we moved was 90 days. Now to, now to be able to plan a church, we had uh, to raise all of our uh, salary money for three years, all of our insurance money for three years we had to raise startup funds and what the church would need to start, and we raised startup funds and, and a little bit of salary and support for uh, our first daughter church pastor that was coming with us as well so all in all, like several hundred thousand dollars, and we had ninety day a 90 day window from the time our letters and our phone calls and our support conversations could, could begin to when we were supposed to be fully funded and moving to Peoria. And I'm like, God, this typically, are, it takes uh, church planners 12 to 18 months to do that. And so it was one of those conversations that God and I had again and again and again. Like, God, it's just not possible. I don't know any rich people. I'm not independently wealthy. Wish I was, but I'm not, right? That kind of thing. It's, it's like I don't have, I don't know a lot of people that have deep pockets that could just kind of, you know, pony up hundred grand or something. I'm like, this is just not the world that we live in. There's no way. How is this ever going to work out? It's, the, the task that is before me is just too big. I can't do it. Or I can remember, uh, fast forward, by the way, all these things, God did it, right? Which is is the remarkable part. But I I can remember another time, right? Like, we... uh we came here, moved here, started the church, uh, and, and the, the plan had been from before we even started, God had been abundantly clear that we were to be a church that reproduces, right, that kind of helps start other churches. And uh, I, I can remember we were about 18 months old at the time when we, when we gave Paul, right, our Sunnyland campus pastor, the green light to take some of our people, to take some of our money, to take some of our whatever, and to go off and to start a new, a new campus, a new church, and I can remember even in that era, going, God, we don't have the money, we don't have the people. This is insane, right? How, how, it's impossible. And, and in all honesty, and in all fairness, uh, some of you have been around and know, know the story. But we're kind of in that era again, right, where we've been um, given a uh, some property and a church building over in Bartonville for us to be able to do it again. And I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in the same sort of mode, saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work. It, it's too much. I don't have. I don't have the person. I can't make it happen. In fact, I've told uh, the, the people from Bartonville. I told our leadership. I've mentioned it probably in church before. I'm like, this has got to be a God thing, or we're dead, right? Like, there's no way I can't. I can't make everything happen that needs to happen. And I just think, man, there's there's just sometimes in our lives where we feel that way, right? Where we're just like, man, I don't know how. It's going to happen. It's going to have to be a God thing. This is beyond me. What's required of me is more than what I have. It's just not possible. I think some of us probably in the room, I think probably all of us in the room can identify with that at some point. I mean, it could be that you're a mom of babies and toddlers and preschoolers, and the demands on you are so high, I mean, you haven't slept in years, right? And you're always changing and feeding and bathing and cleaning someone or something. Like, it's a never-ending job, and you're looking at it, and you're exhausted, and you're like, man, maybe even you're pregnant again, and you're looking at it going... "Uh, I, I don't know. Right? I don't know how this is supposed to work. I'm not sure I can keep doing this. What's required of me and what little energy and whatever I have, it, it's too much for me. Or maybe the demands and the timelines that are on you at work just, are just completely unrealistic, right? And you're stressed out of your mind and you just don't, don't know how exactly you're going to survive and get everything done that you're supposed to. Maybe you've gotten yourself into debt or you've lost a job. Maybe your marriage isn't where you want it to be. And you just feel overwhelmed in some way. And you just feel like you're not enough. That whatever's before you, it's just too much. And you feel overwhelmed. And if that's you, if you've ever felt that way, if maybe even you're feeling that way today, then i got to say you're in the right place. Because I think Daniel chapter 2 has a lot to speak to you and to me today about how to stand even when the impossible is before us. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Daniel chapter 2. If you don't, if you got your phone or something, you can uh, open the Ignite Church app, go under sermon notes, message notes, whatever, and you can follow along. the scriptures and notes and stuff in there as well. You can also follow along on the screens. But we're just going to kind of read through the story, uh, most of it. Daniel chapter 2 is actually a huge chapter in the Bible, and so I'm going to read a good chunk of it, but then there's a, a bit later on that I'll summarize. But uh, So I'm going to start with Daniel 2, uh, verses 1 through 6. I'll just kind of read through it, set the stage here. It says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, Hey, we know how to do this, right? May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it for you. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. So does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? This guy's like hardcore, right? This is crazy. But he says in verse 6, if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Boom, there's the task, right? That's what's put before them. How's that for an impossible situation? The king is having a recurring dream. And, and, and not only does he want an accurate interpretation of the dream, he wants to know what it means, right? He want, But he also wants you to first tell him what his dream was so he knows you have authority that, you, to, you know, that you're believable when, when you give him the explanation. If you can't tell him his dream, he's gonna kill you. And then he's really gonna hurt you, right? He's gonna go after your family, he's gonna go after your house, he's, he's, it's, he's gonna destroy your life. Does that seem like an impossible situation? It's incredible. It's an unbelievably impossible situation. And it's going to dawn on these guys real quick here. Verse 7. Let's keep going. It says, once more, they replied, no, no, we must have misunderstood you. Let's rephrase this whole thing. Let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we'll interpret it. And the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such of a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is just too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they did not live among humans. I thought. No, let me just pause there. I thought that was fascinating this week. I thought that was uh, great stuff, and I think uh, it's fascinating because I think we do the same thing. Let me just kind of paint this picture. So these wise men are standing before the king. Is it an impossible task asked of them? Absolutely, right? Yes, totally. And so uh, they're standing there. They. They need to know something that is unknowable, right? So they they realize they can't do this. It's bigger than them, and they start freaking out. They kind of lock up and are rolled back a little bit on their heels, rocked back. And they're, they're thinking, you're asking the impossible. There is just no way. Nobody can do what you're asking. It's not humanly possible. Can I just say, at that point, I say, exactly, right? It is not humanly possible, can I just share just a little pet peeve of mine, a little, there's, we get all these little Christian little phrases that go around the church, and people post them on Instagram, and there's like little pictures and whatever, and I, there's, this is a real common one, it's been around for, you know, decades, I don't know how long, but it says, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle, you know the phrase, right, can I just say, I, I read Daniel chapter 2, and I'm like, that's bogus, right, God will never give you more than he can handle, Right, that's what the phrase should be. God can God will never give you more than he can handle. God is not gonna be stand back and be impressed at your strength as if you can man up and handle this thing by yourself, right? I got this, right? I mean, there's this is unknowable kinds of stuff. There's no way. There's no way. And so, but God is in the business of showing his power and showing his glory and showing his strength. He's all about that, and he's and that's what he's gonna do in this passage, right? So I mean, but I think it's a fascinating kind of moment when these astrologers and these uh, whatever, sorcerers and everything else, when, when it's st- starting to dawn on them, this isn't humanly possible. And so they kind of lock up. They're like, no, I'm out. There's no way. It's impossible. It's just too hard. Again, it's interesting because what, they need to know something that no human being can know. Nebuchadnezzar deals with this by saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm going to go to astrologers and sorcerers and psychics. I'm going to try and get them to tell me what this whole thing means. The astrologers and the psychics look at themselves and say, this is beyond us. Only the gods, they say, could give those kinds of answers, to which I say they're mostly right, right? But only one God could give them those kinds of answers, right? There's only one that could give them those kinds of answers. And the crazy part to me as I'm reading through this is I think Nebuchadnezzar knows it. I think all these wise men and wise people, they know it. But nobody actually stops at this point in the service, at this point in the passage. It actually goes to God, right? They're, they're, they, they identify it, right, and say only God could do this. But instead they just lock up and they get rocked back and say, oh, it's, it's too hard. It's impossible, I mean, how different the story would be if somebody would have stopped, backed the train up, and said, God, would you reveal it to us? God, would you intervene? God, would you step into the picture? God will never give us more than he can handle. It's fascinating. Again, nobody in the story up to this point actually goes to God. We can read that. And we can be a little indignant and think, man, they're a bunch of idiots, <laughs> right? But the thing is, I think we do that all the time. I think you and I do the, do the same thing. We, we are faced with impossible situations, and we tend to take one of a bunch of different uh, courses of action. Sometimes I think we, we, uh, we start to panic like the, like the wise people did, the wise men did, and we kind of get rocked back and we lock up. Sometimes I think we try to power up and we kind of try to muster more energy and more wisdom and more whatever, and, uh, and we try to bulldoze our way in our own strength. I can totally be guilty of that sometimes. I think sometimes we mess up and we look to the wrong people. We start going to people looking for answers, look, look, going to people looking for wisdom rather than God. That's what happens in this story, right? Nebuchadnezzar, man, you're looking in all the wrong places. And man, I wonder how often we do that we get a little cookie cutter saying or a fortune cookie or a little meme on Facebook and we think, oh, that's the answer I've been looking for instead of going to God. That never happens to us, does it? Or sometimes we'll just take pop, you know, popular opinion of our friends. You should kick that boy to the curb, right? We got all this, I mean, we got all these little phrases and we think, oh, that must be what I should do instead of actually going and seeking God, seeking out his wisdom, seeking out his truth. We do all kinds of things, right? We lock up, we power up, we mess up. Instead of shutting up and looking up and finally turning and looking to God, the only one that can show up and fix our problems. I remember uh, the, the instance I shared earlier uh, that season when I was working crazy number of hours and jobs and, and going to school and all that kind of stuff. There was actually a season in there where my, my solution was to power up, right? And I thought, I, I'm just going to have to work harder and be more disciplined and whatever else. And I can remember I ended up in the hospital in that era uh, just from sheer exhaustion. And I can remember a, a time I was back at the church. Um, not that long after, maybe a week or two after, and I was, again, I was tightly wound in my, my gut, right, just sort of, how am I going to get all this stuff done? I was anxious and nervous and everything else, and I can remember this moment where God just sort of shut me up and I mean, just kind of stopped me in my tracks and just was like, would you just Would you just drop it and look to me, right? Look to me, and uh, it it was a moment. I just ended up just stopping and getting down on my knees and just praying, and it's crazy, but within a second, maybe two, right, I could feel the weight coming off of my shoulders, and I could feel the return of God's peace and his smile on me. And I just wonder how often that's the case for us where where we have access to the living God, where yes, the task that's before you is more than you can handle, but we just need to drop to our knees and look up and, and entrust ourselves in the situations to the only one that actually has the power and the wisdom and the understanding for the breakthrough that we need. Make sense? Let's keep going. Uh, verse 12 says this says uh, so so the uh, wise people come back to God and say what you're asking or come back to the king and say what you're asking is impossible this has never been asked of anybody it's unknowable impossible kinds of stuff only the gods could do it and it says this verse 12 this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death And men were sent to look for Daniel, can you say gulp, (laughs) and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact, which, by the way, that's just a, a little throwaway, but that's a fascinating phrase, isn't it? Daniel went out and spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matters to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for more time so that he might interpret the dream for him. For seventeen, then Daniel returned to his house and expl- ex- uh, excuse me, explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of Heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And by the way, uh, just parenthetically, his friends did pray, and they pleaded with God for an answer. And I, I, read, I read this, and I was like, man, those are some good friends. We, we all need some friends like that, don't we? <laughs> some friends that will stand with us, that will bow with us, that will pray with us, that will say, you know, I'm, I am committed. I'm going to be on my face before God for you and for what's happening in your life. And, and the same, and vice versa, right? That you're on your, on your knees before God. Pray. All of us need some friends like that if we're going to learn to stand. Verse 19, it says, During the night, the mystery, God answers their prayer, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel's instant response, Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings, and he raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to me, uh, to us, the dream of the king. So you kind of see what's happening here, right? Instead of freaking out, instead of locking up, what does Daniel do? He finds out what's happening. He goes and asks some more questions. And then he asks the king for more time. Does he ask for more time so that he can go and power up and do all these kind of things? No, he asks for more time so that he can what? so that he can pray, so that he can seek God, so that he, he and his friends can cry out to God. God, would you intervene? God, would you reveal this mystery? God, would you do the impossible and answer these prayers? It's, it's an amazing thing. He asks for more time, and then they pray. They pray to the God of heaven. They pray for supernatural wisdom so that they and the wise men of of Babylon wouldn't be executed. You know, most often, the breakthrough that we need is found in prayer. It's found as we seek God, as we look to him, as we cry out to him. When there's a God-sized problem or a God-sized opportunity before us, when we're feeling overwhelmed, the first and most important thing that we can do is plead with God. I love that word, by the way pleading with God. it's, it's uh, There's a sense of commitment and intensity as if you're betting your life on it, which these guys are, right? They're betting their lives that God is going to answer their prayer, that God is the one that can intervene. They are pleading with Him. I'm amazed, but I, I, I think I experience this oftentimes in my own life. I will, uh, I'll pray about something sometimes for weeks or sometimes for months, but I kind of do it half-heartedly if that makes sense. I'm, you know, I wonder if maybe some of you guys do this too, but I'll kind of pray and I mean it, but I'm not like super into it. Like I'll be like, yeah, God, and would you do this? And would you do this? Would you do this? That kind of thing. But what I found a lot of times is that God will wait until the pressure goes up on that and I, I start feeling uh, the need for it. He waits until I'm at a breaking point where I finally realize God's the only one that can that can answer. God's the only one that can come through uh, in the way that I need. And so there's kind of like a different gear, right? There's an intensity level where you start actually pleading with God. And I've, what, again, what, I'm, what I've found is that so often it seems like God waits to answer my prayer until I recognize the urgency behind it. And I, I wonder if sometimes he does that just so that, so that it's crystal clear that it's not my efforts or my whatever but it's, God is the one that's actually done it. God, you know, like I said, he's in the business of showing his power and showing his glory. And when we get kind of the end of ourselves and finally entrust those things to God and start pleading with God like that, we can see with, you know, with crystal clarity, we can see that it is him that has worked. It is him that has answered our prayers. It's him that has busted in and done something remarkable. Well, that's what's happening here. These four friends, they are pleading with God to intervene, and he answers their prayer. He shows Daniel the dream, and he gives them the interpretation and the meaning of that dream. And the very next thing, and I kind of emphasized this when I read it, but the very next thing that happens, as soon as God gives that vision to Daniel, what's the next thing he does? Huh? What's the next thing he does? What is it? He thanks God. He worships, right? He turns back before he, I mean, like, you gotta, you gotta keep in mind, there's an urgency, right? They could lose their lives rather than running out the door the second God gives them the vision and say, hey, stop it, stop. The, the first thing he does before he even runs out the door is he, he drops back to his knees and he praises God saying, God, you are amazing, right? You are, you are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You have answered our prayer. Thank you so much, And I think, man, there is a lesson there for me, and maybe there's a lesson there for you too. Sometimes we have pleaded with God urgently, and he has answered, and we've just sort of gone on and and missed that important moment to to turn back home and to give him praise and to give him thanks. But here these guys do a great job. Uh, Love that. Let's let's finish this up here, uh, starting with verse 24. It says this. Then Daniel went to Ariok, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and he said to them, Don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Ariok took Daniel uh, to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. And the king asked Daniel, "Uh, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dreams and interpret it? And Daniel replied, I think it's a fascinating response. He says, no wise man, no enchanter, no magician or uh, diviner can explain to the king the mystery that that he is asked about. He says this, verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. I have to say, man, I love that phrase. I have had it written on my whiteboard all week. I think we should maybe get it tattooed on our arms, maybe write it on our mirrors. I think you should underline it in your Bible. Like, big. But there is a God in heaven, a God that busts into human history, a God that answers prayers, a God that makes unknowable things knowable, a God that, that shows up and works in unbelievable ways, even when the impossible is before us. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. It's a key verse of this entire passage. Like I said, I think we just need to be reminded of it again and again and again. Why? Because it applies to our lives. Maybe we're in a marriage or a relationship that seems hopeless. Maybe there's been a a track record of destruction and brokenness and your relationship is in shambles could be that you're married to an unbeliever and you've been praying and praying and hoping and longing uh, that they would open up their hearts and lives to Jesus, but they haven't. And, and for whatever reason, you just feel like this whole thing is hopeless. And maybe today you need to remember, but there is a God in heaven, a God that can bust it, that can do what, is, what we even imagine as being impossible there is a God in heaven. Maybe, maybe the pressures of work or school are just too much, your weight down. Maybe anxiety is just dogging you these days. Maybe you feel overwhelmed with how little strength and energy you really have and how few resources you actually have, but there is a God in heaven. Maybe you're a parent of an adult child that's very far from God or whose life is just not on the path that you had hoped for them. And it seems hopeless to you, but maybe today you need to be reminded again, but there is a God in heaven. Maybe there's money problems. Maybe there's debt that's piled up and it's been crippling and enslaving you. And you're looking at it going, man, we are just getting further and further and further and further behind. There is no end to this. How in the world can we ever, it's impossible. And maybe you need to be reminded, but there's a God in heaven that can provide, that can do miracles, that can do things that are so amazing, right? Jaw-dropping. He he specializes in performing miracles, in setting people free. Maybe there's a sin or a a, a hang-up, an addiction of some kind for you or somebody close to you. And you've tried, but you, you just can't seem to break free from it, or they just can't seem to break free from it. Maybe today you need to remember that there is a God in heaven, a God who breaks chains, a God who transforms people's lives in eternity, who sets them free. He's done it before, and he can do it again. I'll tell you what. I want you just to say it with me. I want you to, just this phrase. I want you to say, but there is. Is a God in heaven say it with me but there is a God in heaven sometimes I think we get discouraged when things seemingly impossible are before us and the wind gets knocked out of us and we just start dragging butt and thinking there's no stinking way we just need to be reminded man there is a God who is on the throne a God who still answers prayer not always in our time frame not always the way we but there is a God who busts into human history who makes unknowable things knowable a God who can provide for us. A God who spoke the earth into being. The, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which means he owns everything. A God that is able to provide exactly what we need. A God who is strong enough for any challenge. That is up to any task. It, it might not be that God won't give us more than we can handle, but nope, God is never, it's impossible, right, to give something more than God can handle. Because he's, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's good, but God. There is a God in heaven. Man, does somebody need to be reminded of that today? It's been great for me. It just keeps circling around in my brain over and over and over. It's a word that I think we need to be reminded of. It reminds me, I I ran across this quote, uh, Christian uh, Rieger, a guy that uh, spent uh, four years in the concentration camp of Dachau. He was in prison there from 1941 to 45. His crime was for standing up for God in the Nazi regime. He wrote this, he said this, Nietzsche once said that a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life. But here at Dachau, he says, I've learned something far greater. I've learned to know the who of my life. He's referring to God, right? He was enough to sustain me then, and he is enough to sustain me still. You know what he's saying? But there is a God that's in heaven, a God that is with me, a God that is all-powerful, a God that can sustain me no matter what. As Daniel and his three friends pray, God answers. God shows Daniel the dream. He gives him the interpretation. And so Daniel goes before the king, right? He lets him know that uh, uh, he can stop the executions and that kind of thing. And I, I, I still i am just amazed um, at the way it, it plays out because he says, hey, are you able to, give, to tell me the dream and to tell me the interpretation? It would have been real easy for Daniel to say, yeah, yeah, I'm ready let's do this thing, right, kind of thing. But he doesn't. He says, no, he, he reminds the king. He says, you know what? what, actually what you've asked is impossible, but I want you to know that the living God is able to do the impossible. Uh, li- the living God is able to bust in, so he gives glory to God. He says, no, I couldn't have done it, but God has done it, and here's, and here's the dream. Here's your answer. Here's your response. We don't really have time to go into uh, the specifics of the dream. The second half of, uh, of Daniel uh, chapter 2 actually is a, is, ends up with prophecy. I'll give you a, a kind of a summary if I can. Uh, man, there's great stuff here in your own time. You can, you can study it more, but it's pretty cool. Daniel describes the dream to Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar has been having, and he says this basically. In your dream, you saw a giant statue of a man, and it was very frightening to you. The head was made out of gold. The upper body was made out of silver. The belly and the thighs were made out of bronze. The legs were made out of iron. And the feet were sort of clay mixed with iron. And after that, there was this huge rock that came and really uh, grew to be enormous and demolished the statue. And this big rock is one that will endure forever. And the king basically says, that's exactly right. That's exactly my dream. Now, can you tell me what it means? And so he goes on, and he says, I'm going to tell you the meaning of it. God was showing you of the future of the world, future events, events that were to come. God is showing you about the empires that are going to come after you. He says, the gold head, he says, that represents you. It represents the Babylonian empire, big empire, most powerful nation at the time. The one that's going to come after you is made out of silver, silver. And we know, right, from from this side of history, we know that that's uh, talking about and describing the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. But silver is not quite as valuable as gold; it's not quite as good as the as uh, his empire was, so to speak. Then after you is going to come one of bronze, and that's the third empire. He's talking about Alexander the Great and the Greek sort of empire, which, by the way, he's predicting hundreds of years in advance. Isn't this cool? he 's predicting with with clarity actually um, there's, there's a lot more to it, and then he says uh, then the, the last one is is uh, one of iron it 's the strongest of all it 's the Roman empire it's going to be bigger than all of all of these other empires, including yours and then he says, but they they're going to be Resting on feet that are made of sort of a mixture of iron and clay together. And that's because this empire is eventually going to start crumbling, right? The way the Roman empire did. Because clay and iron simply don't mix well together. Some parts of the kingdom will be very strong like iron. Some parts will be weak like clay. And that empire is going to fall apart. He says, but then here's the big key. Then after that, there's a rock that is going to come after that, and it will turn into almost like a mountain, and it will cover the whole earth, sort of the ultimate empire. It's representing God's kingdom, God's empire, so to speak. And one day, God is going to establish his kingdom in all power, and all the man-made empires of this world are going to come crashing down, tumbling down around it. And it's only God's kingdom that will never be destroyed. It's going to cover up everything. Nobody's going to conquer it, and it's going to last forever. He's painting a picture of the history uh, that's going to come about God, about the kingdoms and the empires that are coming, and then eventually the coming of God's sovereign kingdom. By the way, just parenthetically, right? Every one of those four kingdoms happened just as the way they described it. In fact, uh, later in Daniel, it's described with even greater clarity down to numbers of kings and all kinds of crazy things like that. But amazing. Again, there's tons of this Bible history stuff I've talk, taught on before, but that actually just gives us confidence to, to say, you know what, this is, this is no ordinary book. How could you look ahead and know... About the kingdoms and the reigns that are coming before you, even down to uh, this one isn't super specific, but some of them are amazingly specific, right? Uh, The only way you could know is if God was in the pages of these books, if God was making the unknowable knowable to us. But God, but there is a God that is in heaven, right? Pretty cool. Let's look at the king's response. This is verse 46. This is where we'll end the thing. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. I mean, imagine Daniel's probably 17 years old at this time. He paid him honor, ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him, which is sort of like blah, 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 blah. Verse 47 says this, and then the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Finally, Nebuchadnezzar right, gets at least a little bit of a glimpse here that there is a God that is in heaven who is all-knowable, who is all-powerful. God's getting honored now by a pagan king, which is just crazy cool. He's, he's saying to Daniel, I don't know how you did it, but your God is the real deal. <laughs> your God uh, is worthy of honor. And then Nebuchadnezzar is, Nebuchadnezzar basically promotes Daniel to a greater position. He gives him a promotion, all kinds of possessions, and then uh, he made Daniel, the 17 year old kid, ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as the chief over all the other wise men. It's an, inc- it's an incredible story. But as we wrap up today, I just want to ask this question. I want you to ponder it and think about it. What is it that seems impossible in your life right now? What's got you panicked? What's got you filled with anxiety? Where is it that you feel overwhelmed these days? What is it that causes you to stay awake at nights? What is it that, what are the things that are stirring in you? Things that come to mind, things that that, uh, as we're we're talking and we're dreaming about today, what are the things that seem just impossible, that seem too big, that are standing before you these days? Seems scary, that seem anxiety producing. Could be all kinds of things, right? Could be money stuff or job stuff, relational, romantic stuff. Who knows? Could be health, could be kids, could be friends or neighbors or coworkers or whatever. What kinds of impossible problems are before you these days? Are there things that are standing before you that you just kind of look at and you say, shake your head and you say, man, this seems impossible. Things are never going to change. It's never going to work out. I'm never going to be able to get this done. I'm never going to be enough to handle what is before me. If you're facing, friends, a seemingly impossible situation today, I wonder if you and I need to learn a lesson from Daniel, a lesson on how to stand up even in the midst of an impossible situation. I wonder if we need to be reminded that there is a God in heaven who answers prayer, a God who does the impossible, a God who heals, who provides, who transforms, who frees, whose kingdom will last forever and will never end. But there is a God in heaven... Maybe it's time for us to quit trying to just rely on our own strength and our own wisdom and our own resources. Maybe it's time this morning to turn back to Him and to plead with Him, fervently pray to Him, and ask for His help, ask for His power and His presence to bust into our lives and into these situations. It may be impossible for us, but nothing is impossible. him. And so as we close today, I'm just going to ask, will you turn to him? Will you pray to him? Will you entrust yourselves and your marriages and your jobs and your income and your ministry and your lives and whatever into his capable hands? Let's follow his lead, his will in his way. Like we talked about last week, let's learn to stand with him and to see him work and answer. And as we witness his power, let's give him thanks, right? And praise and worship him. And let's be sure that we share that as well with those around us that are desperately in need of Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, uh, we just come to you this morning and uh, I bet most of us have, have a situation, have something that comes to mind in a possible kind of situation where we feel overwhelmed or hopeless or anxious. And Father, we just want to lift, and lift these things up to you this morning and trust them into your care. And we just ask God we turn to you, we turn our faces to you and ask, God, would you bust in? Would you come and bring your kingdom? God, would you come and bring your will right smack dab into the middle of our our impossible situations? Would you bring wisdom? Would you bring clarity? I pray that as we, we could come and we could drop these things before you this morning and as we do, that we could feel the weight dropped before you, that you would do the heavy lifting, God and that we could just rest in your peace, that we could look to you, and that you would come, that you would show your power, that you would show your strength. God, we pray that you would answer the prayers, the, the cries of our heart. We need you, Jesus. We need you, God. Would you, would you draw us close, Lord, for ways that maybe we've been uh, trying to do it on our own and carry it in our own strength? For ways that we've been trying to take shortcuts and looking at all the wrong places. God, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us in Jesus' name? Instead, God, would you would you draw us close to you? Would you open our eyes to see you? Would you teach us to follow and to trust the one who says his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Would you tell us to knock and the door will be open to ask and to seek and we'll find to ask and uh, you will answer. And so we come and lay our lives before you, God, we lift up the things that are weighing on our hearts to you this morning. We pray we need you, Jesus. But there is a God who is in heaven. Would you bolster our faith? Would you teach us to stand? Would you uh, give us endurance to keep trusting, to keep praying, to keep walking, to keep looking to you and walking with you and living for you? We lift these things up. We pray them and we trust them into your care. In the name of Jesus, we pray.